If you um, have your Bibles this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I want to invite you there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to uh, uh, grab one of those and you can borrow it if you need to borrow it or keep it if you need to keep it. Also, if you're a user of the Bible app, um, you can find our live event right now and track along with the scriptures and the sermon notes and other announcements and stuff. All of that is happening uh, right now. By the way, I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name is Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here, which is pretty great for me. And um, I'm grateful to... uh, that you're here this morning. Very grateful to you that you're here this morning. So Ecclesiastes um, chapter six is where we're going to be. Let's take just a moment um, to pause and pray and ask the Lord for help as we open his word. Okay. Uh, Father, we put ourselves before you now and ask for your help uh, because we want to think about things and uh, uh, be responsive to the things that you give us this morning. Um, and in order to do that, to put aside distractions and all the other things, we're going to need your help. So by your Holy Spirit, would you do that? And God, make us a different people. Make us people who are marked by you. Lord Jesus, would you kick the doors wide open here? Come invade us, uh, leave no sin unaddressed, and leave no hurt unhealed. We commit ourselves to you and ask Ask Jesus, you, the King of glory, would come in now and be with your people. And we pray that in your name and for your sake and for your kingdom's sake among us. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we're kicking off, not, excuse me, not kicking off. We're in week two of this series. Last week we kicked off uh, God in the everyday, looking at how we encounter God, experience God in the kind of warp and woof of our everyday life. Just the normal rhythms of where we are. Last week we talked about work. Uh, and today uh, we're going to talk about play. And I'm starting off with this particular story. I don't know if any of you saw this this week. It actually made national headlines on multiple websites and in multiple places that the world is going to end next Monday. Did anybody catch this? There's a dude out there named David Mead. And if you ever bump into him, thump him in the noggin for me, okay? Because the story went, a Christian numerologist predicted that the world was going to end next Monday, 423. Can we just call a big T.O. here? There's no such thing as a Christian numerologist, okay? Like, either your secret code runs the world or Jesus does, the guy who got up from the dead. Those two things don't go together, though. So anybody who rolls out and drops a card, well, what do you do for I'm a Christian numerologist. You just give them that over the glasses eye like that. And say to yourself, this guy is a whack job. Because David Mead has missed the date of the world ending before twice. Already this year. He's already missed it twice this year. And when confronted with that fact, he simply points people back to his website, which is a hack. I mean, just absolute. I only point that out because if the world was ending on Monday, maybe we would just indeed embrace play uh, until, you know, next Monday. But uh, this is the bigger thing for me. Just as unthoughtful as he is about Christianity. So we also, I think, are probably as unthoughtful about how we approach play. And today I want to try to get us to be more thoughtful about that. 
Ecclesiastes is going to help us. There's been two particular theological uh, truths that, that f- give the foundation for us. Here's one, uh, that God is worthy of our everyday lives. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, uh, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do. Anybody eating and drinking this week? Anybody? Okay, so eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do every bit of that to the glory of God. So there is a way to eat, there is a way to drink, there is a way to do whatever we do to the glory of God. Therefore, he is worthy of our everyday lives. God doesn't just want a Sunday moment with us. He doesn't just want a Bible study moment with us. He wants us to be fully engaged, fully engaged with him and experience him in our everyday lives at work and today at play. Second um, theological foundation is that God is not only worthy, but he's also with us in our everyday lives. Um, Again, not just on Sundays, not just when we open our Bible in the morning and are good little Christians. He is with us all the time in our everyday lives. Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you to the very end of the age. Anybody bump into anything this week where you thought, thank you, God, that you're with me in the middle of this. Just had a conversation with somebody who's um, presenting something and, uh, you know, got some pretty strong feedback. Just, uh, just a second ago. Thank you, God, that you're with me in the middle of this. Uh, many of others have bumped into things this week where you're like, thank you, God, that you're with me in the middle of this. God not only is worthy of our everyday lives, but he's with us in our everyday lives. Therefore, not just Sundays, not just some other, every day, every moment of every day, we get a chance to walk with and experience who God is. And so that's what we're after today. So Ecclesiastes chapter six, with those two foundational things in place, y'all are going to have to listen fast. Okay. Listen fast. Uh, chapter six, verse one, there is an evil that I've seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness and darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. The stillborn child finds rest rather than the man who doesn't enjoy the things that God has given. Verse 6, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. Ecclesiastes is a uniquely happy book. And <laughs> No, you read this book and you're like, oh, i got to go see a counselor or something after this. Uh, I'm I'm not, I'm only semi-joking. What it does is it's a tale of somebody who tried everything and ultimately came down to the best thing in life is to uh, receive what God gives us and then live with him in right relationship. Um, And here's one of the places. And so what I want to do is just kind of take this passage, overlay this idea of play, of recreation, of hobbies, of avocation, however you want to say it, lay this uh, idea on top of this passage and then let that passage speak back to us through that filter. So three statements this morning. Uh, First one, right out of the box, verse two, uh, play is a function of wealth. You see it in verse two, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. 
Um, play is a function of wealth. Uh, um, you, you may say, well, I mean, I see kids play. I see other people play. Yes, kids play. Uh, people singing in the shower, all that kind of stuff. All of that's absolutely true. But uh, there's better than half the world right now is not thinking about where they're going to go on vacation. Why? Because half of the world lives on less than $2 a day. Uh, there are kids in Syria right now who are not thinking about, you know, uh, if the new... Uh, um, if they're going to be able to log on to Fortnite today and play. Play is a function of wealth. I don't put that before you to make anybody feel guilty. I don't think we should, because I, I, I'm not speaking to kids out there. I'm speaking to suburban folk in here. So uh, I don't think you need to necessarily feel guilty about that. I think what that triggers for me is, is kind of uh, the first big thing about play because it is a function of wealth, because God gives us these things right here. Um, uh, I th- what we need to do is, is to receive it and to receive it humbly. Because where did your wealth come from? Well, I worked really hard um, or I got it as an inheritance or whatever. Okay. Okay. Where did that come from? You just kind of back it up. Well, because, you know, I have this great work ethic. Where did that come from? Well, I had to go through the thing. Well, where did that? I make some really smart decisions. And finally, you just get down to, but where did the breath that you took that allowed you to do all of that stuff that you're claiming credit for, where did that come from? What's the answer? God. And everything else did too. You just can't see it. The reason we receive this particular idea of play humbly we receive it as a gift humbly is because it came from God. It came from God. And not everybody has the opportunity um, to, in, uh, to receive it like we do. And I'll just give you a very, very brief example of this. Uh, how many of you at some point this week are going to go out to eat? Go ahead, everybody. Raise your hand up. You know you're going to. You're going to go out to eat. That's awesome. You recognize like... That's, that's an expression of recreation, of play, a hobby. Some of you are like, it's not a hobby. It's passion or whatever. Okay. I mean, that's an expression of play, right? And, and God gives us this, and we get to do these kinds of things. Why? Because of the, the wealth that we uh, uh, have been given by God. And, okay, don't need to feel guilty about that. Do need to receive it humbly, right? And so because God has been generous with us, we get to enjoy these things. And because he's been generous with us, what do we get to do? We get to be generous with others. So when we go out to eat, we tip well to the glory of God, right? So what I'm saying is it's a function of wealth, and because we receive it humbly, we then get to express that kind of, uh, hey, this isn't really mine when it's all said and done anyway. We get to receive, uh, excuse me, express that generosity that God has shown us by practical things like how we tip and various and sundry other things. So play, first of all, is a function of wealth. Secondly, play is also a good gift. Same verse, verse 2, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Uh, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. And he goes on, this is vanity. Um, so God gives a gift, and, and then um, the, 
along with it, what we want is the power to enjoy that. Play is a good gift from God. That's important because he specifically, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, specifically says it's evil when we don't have the power, when we don't take the time, when we don't focus our lives such that we enjoy the things that God has given us. In fact, he uses this really dark illustration. It's better to be a stillborn child than to be a person who doesn't enjoy the things that God gives. Why? Because it's such an offense to the goodness of God over our lives. It's such an offense. Play is a good gift, and so we receive it humbly, and then we also, because it is such a good gift, we also then enjoy it gratefully. That's the key word. We'll come back to that in just a second. It is possible to have all that the heart desires, but find no joy in it. That is possible. And so New Testament picks this up in a couple of different places. This is James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, you can't even find a blip of change in his character. He's not going to morph. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. So um, where do we receive good, these good gifts? Where do we receive the ability um, to, to uh, have wealth to go out to eat, for instance? We receive that from God. Where do we receive the gift to um, sing in the shower and just belt our hearts out like we're a superstar? We receive that from God. All the other avocations, all the other hobbies. Where do we, some of you are gardeners in here, you like working in the yard. Where do we receive... Um, The ability and the joy that comes with getting our hands down into the soil and then watching something grow and flower. Um, We see people, uh, when you go to uh, watch the Strohs play or you get out on the golf course and you hit the ball and it goes like you asked it to go in the first place. Like, where do we receive that kind of stuff? We receive all of it from God. It's a good gift that comes down from above. And, and so because it's a good gift, God wants us to do something specific with this good gift. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, and just, that's us. I, mean, I don't think I'm right. You are. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That's a whole different message for a whole different time, stock market. Hello. But instead, to set their hope on God, who richly provides us with what? With everything to do what? To enjoy. So there's a reason God made golf courses. And what is that? So that we would enjoy. There is a reason that God made a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And what is that? It's closed today. That's why I'm bringing it up. He gives us these things to enjoy. There's a reason why God made dirt and flowers and bicycles and walks. And there's a reason God made all of those things. Why why did he make them? He made them as good gifts for you and for me and an expression of his goodness over our lives and over the earth. And he made us for then not only to receive them humbly, but also to then enjoy them with gratitude, grateful. So all of this sense of play, All of this sense of recreation, of hobbies, these kinds of things. And God gives us these things to enjoy. And he gives good gifts. And these good gifts have benefits. Here's just a few. Picked them right off of the um, 
off of a medical website. Benefits of play. Number one, it relieves stress. Anybody can agree with that? Anytime you're out doing the things you want to do, every so often uh, uh, people say, what do you like doing? I, I love to play golf. Um, I used to play a lot. Now I have four kids. I don't play hardly at all. Every so often, though, I get the opportunity to go in the garage and bang something, like hit some nails and put a screw in a thing and make a deal, you know, happen. Why do you enjoy that so much? That seems like, no, listen, anytime I can put my hands on something and make something physical, in light of the job that I do, which is so not physical, when I can create something, put my hands on something tangible, that's a gift to me. And it's a stress relief. Every so often, my wife will say, why don't you go hammer something? You know, like, okay. Secondly, it improves brain function. The play actually has been shown to uh, improve brain function. Along with that, it stimulates our brain, and this is the third one, and boosts our creativity. You get up and you, uh, you know, do something you enjoy for a while. Some of the problems that you were thinking about, uh, you know, can, your brain will actually help create a solution. Number four, um, uh, it improves social skills, or let me say it this way. It's supposed to improve social skills. Some of you ought not yell at the referees or whatever it is that you uh, do when you're kid. Okay, and number five, it teaches teamwork, okay? And this is good, especially for kids and others, that kind of thing. So there's all these benefits to play. It's a good gift, and it has good benefits for you and for me. So what do we do? We receive it humbly because it comes from God, and then we enjoy it gratefully. We express it. We, we, we enjoy it and then express it. That is the proper way for us to fulfill the intent and honor the giver. I'll just give you one very brief example. There's a certain pink Jeep in my garage, about that big, right there. Got given as a birthday gift to uh, our littlest and uh, from day one and about every 36 hours since then, uh, she has loved the Barbie Jeep. Ask if she can drive the Barbie Jeep. Can we charge the battery for the Barbie Jeep? <laughs> run over all sorts of things, you know, run into the car. Don't really care why, because she's just smiling and just ecstatic about Barbie Jeep life. And then every so often she'll roll up and go, oh, I love my Barbie Jeep, Dad. And so what, that's the fulfillment of why we gave it to her in the first place, right? And then we, as we grow in maturity, Learn to not only enjoy the gift, but also say thanks. So it is with God. You can go out to eat, say thanks. Enjoy it. Yes, enjoy it. Cut into that steak and enjoy it and say thanks. Going on a walk, going to go hit the golf ball, play tennis, watch the strokes, whatever it is. Enjoy that and then say thanks. It's a good gift and it's designed to be enjoyed so we receive it humbly, and then we say thanks. We enjoy it and, and uh, gratefully, okay? Receive it humbly, enjoy it gratefully. Uh, th- third statement here uh, is that good gifts, as good as they are, they make lousy idols. So verse 6, even though he should live a 1,000 years twice over, this guy could live 2,000 years, it says, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. In other words, What? It all ends up in the same place anyway, right? It all does. Everything ends in the same place. A hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, it won't matter all that much, will it? But in some sense, in a hundred years, it may matter a whole lot, eternally even. 
100 years from now, it won't matter how much golf I played unless that golf becomes an idol for me. And then I will have to give an account to Jesus for that. And then it will matter a lot. What happens when, when we good gifts make lousy idols because we take what is good and exalt it to the place of what is ultimate. And when we do that, that's when things go sideways in our lives. Not only is that an offense to God and sinful, but it is also self-destructive. Why? Because not only do good gifts make lousy idols, but lousy idols make terrible masters. Psalm 115 verse 8 says, those who worship them, bow down to these idols, will become like them, as do all who make them. So here's the thing on that, is that when we take what is good and exalt it to the place of what's ultimate, whatever your avocation is, whatever your hobby is, whatever your thing is, whatever the thing that occupies your mind, whenever that is, when you exalt it to the place of what is ultimate, what happens? We become, if we take and do that, we become as Empty and as lifeless as the idol itself is. They make lousy idols. The way to destroy the good gift and yourself is to try to take what is good and exalt it to what is ultimate. And I don't know a better place to watch or to see this expressed in a 30-second clip than this interview with Tom Brady for 60 Minutes a few years ago. Here's the quote. I don't want you to miss it. Ready? Obviously, it's a little old, but why, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, guy's married to a supermodel, got beautiful kids, jillions of dollars, more money than any of us have in here probably combined. We couldn't spend all the money that he has sitting in the bank right now. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? There may be a lot of people who would say, uh, hey, man, this is what it is. Like, you've reached, you've reached my, I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. This is it. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. Well, what do you think? The answer is, I wish I knew. That, that part, just a couple of lines there up from the, from the break there. Me, I think, and if only this had been a prayer. God, it's got to be more than this. I'm not taking a shot at Tom Brady. I'm saying this applies to everybody in here. When we take what is good and exalt it to what is ultimate, what we figure out is, boy, good gifts make lousy idols, and lousy idols make terrible masters. I just wish I knew what to do. I just wish I knew. The answer is we give our lives to the one who created us. Just a few verses, uh, chapters earlier in Ecclesiastes 3, says that the, uh, the Bible says that you and I were made with eternity in our hearts, not Super Bowl rings. If Super Bowl rings could satisfy us, wouldn't, we wouldn't need eternity. Super Bowl, it's a great, it's a good thing. 
we're made with eternity in our hearts. So we give our lives to him. So what are we, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? This is, I just want to get practical for a minute and just think about this. As we said earlier, I just want to point these things. Receive, first of all, receive and enjoy God's gift. You receive it humbly. You enjoy it gratefully. You enjoy it gratefully. When we do, we make God look good. We really do glorify him in all that we do. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 31 said to do. Eric Liddell, many of you will uh, know this story, runner in the early 20th century, um, said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Why else do you think God made Eric Liddell fast? So that when he he ran, he glorified God in how he ran. And so you think about that and expressing that in all the other ways. You you sing, uh, you create, you make, you hammer, you golf, you play baseball, you do any number of those things. Listen, all of those things. Why do you think God made you that way, to enjoy that? So that you would glorify him, so that you would enjoy doing it and, and in doing so, uh, you would uh, glorify him. And it's not just true of ourselves. We also, those of us with kids, we get a great picture of this. How many of you enjoy, I'm looking at a couple of you I know, but how many of you enjoy watching your kid do what they love? Anybody? You got kids who are in sports or I know we got robotics. I mean, we got like all sorts of things that our kids love to do. And we see this happening, right? And for me, People are like, golly, you spend a lot of time in the soccer field, and I love it. I love it because I love watching her do what she loves to do. I love it. In the same way, so God, our heavenly father, the perfect father, the good, good father who gives us good gifts, loves watching us what, watching us enjoy what he's given us the capacity to do. Number let me just pause here. There's a corollary that goes with that. It's, it's, I, I, you would almost put in parentheses, but I think it probably needs an asterisk. Here's, here's the asterisk. You ready? Um, receive and enjoy God's gift. Yes and amen to that. Receive it humbly. Enjoy it gratefully. Do not, do not enjoy what is not from God. There are things in our world that good gifts have been taken and twisted and turned upside down, inverted, such that they've become perverted, and those are not good, okay? Don't enjoy things that are not from God. The things that are, receive humbly and enjoy gratefully. Number two, fight distraction. Fight distraction. Um, in, in you, fight distraction. Uh, meaning, what does your mind wander to? You know, if you've got a hobby that is so, a thing that you love to do that has so consumed your mind that when you have a moment that your mind immediately drifts there, you might have a problem, right? It can be golf. It can be sports. It can be a book that you're reading. It can be some art thing. It can be Facebook. It can be any number of things. Just fight distraction in you. God gives us good gifts. We receive them humbly. We enjoy them gratefully, but fight distraction. Don't let that good thing become ultimate in your life. And when we spend all of our mental energy on this, then, then we know that, hey man, this is probably an issue for me. And not just in us. I mean, it would be fine if it were just in us because that's a battle we can fight. We also have to fight it in our kids. I simply ask this, what as a parent are you applauding in your kid right now? What as a parent, doesn't matter how old of a parent you are, how old your kids are, What, as a parent, are you applauding in your kid right now? 
And what message are you sending by your applause? Listen, I'm all for it. The kid gets a hit. I mean, stand up and scream like nobody's business, right? Kid gets called out and the referee missed it. Like, let the referee, like I'm all for all of that, okay? I'm all for all of that. But your applause says something to your kids. Particularly in sports, my wife picked this up somewhere along the way, and we've employed it over and over and over again because it's the truth. We just say, hey, we love watching you play. Basketball court, soccer field, whatever. We love watching you play. Somebody is always singing around my house. When I get the chance, I just, I love listening to you sing. Please turn the microphone down, but I love listening. <laughs> If I'm honest, uh, fight distraction in you and fight distraction in your kids. Uh, last thing, um, look for doors of ministry. L- look for doors of ministry. L- let those hobbies, those avocations, those places where you get to play, those things where you get to pursue recreation, let those be doors of ministry. Um, uh, I don't know if he's in here right now or not. You got somebody who uh, loves music, kids in music lessons, got to have a conversation uh, with one of the bassists from a 90s band. I mean, like you would know the name if I said it. And 75 minutes sitting side by side talking about music and talking about life and talking about design things and artistic things and talking about the gospel. I'm, I'm kind of an atheist. Well, we all once were. and We talked, you know, like all of this kind of stuff. I mean, just let those things be doors of ministry. Your kid's on a team, right? And so your kid's on a team. You sit with a lot of parents. You really can. I don't mean this as a shot. You really can put your phone down and talk to them. When I was playing golf, we get in those, about the third hole, you get in the conversation. Oh, what'd you do? What do you do for a living? Well, I work at so-and-so. What do you do? Do we really have to do this, mister? I'm a pastor. Oh, praise the Lord. That's not what you said on the tee box. So (laughs) we can go ahead and get the awkward out of the way now. What do you do when it's awkward? Just keep going. Everybody knows that it's awkward. Just keep going. So tell me about it. Tell me about it. Just keep moving. That, That brings me to this. Ministry is easier when two things are true. Number one, you're intentional. And secondly, you're practicing it regularly. If I'm looking for doors for ministry, ministry, it's a lot easier. Oh, well, I'm kind of scared. It's a lot easier when you're intentional about it and when you're looking for doors for ministry. A couple of examples very briefly. At Home Depot, picking up a light. Nice lady, Natasha, in, in, uh, in the light department at Home Depot is helping me. And uh, I just finally say to her, hey, Natasha, can I just ask you a question? You got some sadness about you. What's going on? She's carrying it in her eyes, carrying it in her shoulders. You know what that looks like? Well, and then she rattled off about five major life events that had happened since Harvey. Death in the family and kid who went crazy and a grandmother who had to get relocated because of this thing. Five big things. Natasha, there's no supervisor around. I'm going to pray for you right here. So we did. Maggie and I just prayed for her right there. We go back about a week later. We're walking in a different department. Maggie points and goes, hey, there's our friend, Dad. Sure enough, I turn around. Natasha's right there. 
It just, it says something. When you're looking for doors of ministry, it's, it's a lot easier when you're intentional and when, um, uh, when you're regularly in practice. Uh, we ate uh, as a staff at Chewy's this week, sitting outside, it's beautiful. Uh, lady comes out, got tattoo on her arm. I just ask about it. Tell me about that. Um, and she, well, this is real vulnerable. And she just, out it comes, right? All of this stuff that had been going on in her life. And I said, man, that's awesome. You go to church anywhere regularly? She goes, nah, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I said, well, that guy right there, you see him? He leads the music at our church and it's pretty good. And that's all I said. Gave her a little invite card. See, you should come see him play the music sometime. That'd be awesome. I don't know if she showed up today or not. If you're here, you'd come find me in a minute. Uh, I, I just, like, I, those kind of things, church family, those are easy to do when we're intentional about them and when it's a regular practice for us. So you know what? Let's be intentional and have them as a regular practice for us. That makes a difference in somebody's life. It can be Natasha at Home Depot. It can be the lady whose uh, kid is on your kid's soccer team. It can be uh, the, the person who's at Dunbro's last night, listen to the anchors, bang on the guitar and sing 90 songs. Like it can be any of those. But let's use those opportunities, those good gifts as Let's look for doors of ministry as we receive them humbly and enjoy them gratefully. Let's pray.